So today we get to sit down with a truly fascinating human being, a man whose job I still don't exactly understand, but who has worked with companies such as, let's run through this list, eBay, Zillow, Nike, Magneto, Microsoft, Oregon State University, Keen, Adidas, and currently I think works with the Apple innovation team. So he does something pretty impressive and creative, and hopefully today we're gonna to try to figure out exactly what that is. But today we're sitting down with a good friend of mine that I've gotten in over the last couple of years, Ron Sparks. Hey Charlie, how's it going? So, fantastic. Cool. So, so I still, even after all this time, don't actually fully understand what it is you do. And let me start by just, yeah. so I, you know, looking at your website, right at the top it says, I lead companies and teams to remap and reimagine product experience. Yeah. And the tagline yeah. under that is exploring human experience in the age of automation. Yeah, so that uh, that's like the thesis I had last year, if you, if you can have a personal thesis. I don't sure. know if that's the right usage, but it was, you know, we're in this age of automation. Technology is sort of integrated into everything, so much so that it's like almost odd to say like technology because everything now has technology in it. You know, mm -hmm. we don't say it like as a weird maybe um, point, but like uh, back in the day it was like railroads and phones were technology. Now we don't call them technology, they just are. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's starting to happen again. And so I was just looking at that, like in the age of automation, as machines get better at being machines, you know, where do we fit as humans? How do humans get better at being human? I think that's mm -hmm. like kind of an answer implied. And so that's just what I was thinking about. Um, yeah, and so what I do is, like a lot of people, I actually have a day job, um, but that's not like what I write or think about as much. Okay. Okay. Um, and so I have a day job as um, leading product design um, for a, a point of sale company. Um, okay. What's cool about that is, you know, it fills my week massively, sometimes more than I want, right, you know, right. morning to night. And I work with a team around the world. So I work with developers in the Ukraine. We've got a headquarters in Florida, um, our main clients in Japan. So I'm working with this international team on design and technology. Um, and so it means like the view that I get of technology is not just US centric. And oh, it's, okay. yeah, so it's pretty cool. So I have a day job of making digital product. Um, that's, that's what I do. Um, but outside of that, like when we, when we ask what somebody does, um, we, we talked about it before the camera started rolling. There's this like tendency for people to say like, what do you do? And if it's outside of a marketing event, a lot of times I've kind of felt like it's a way to gauge someone's social value. Like, I want to know what you yes. do. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Cause then I want to know if you're interesting and if you're interesting or you do something valuable, then I want to talk to you more. If not, then I don't wanna to talk to you. And then the problem is right now in our current culture is that we assign value to the status of your job title. But the world is now changing and like even the way companies work, job titles have changed. Um, one of uh, somebody here in town actually uh, said something to me that's like stuck with me, which is if you want to like climb the ladder at a job, then like you need a job title. But if you wanna be an entrepreneur, you don't need a job title, nobody cares. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, the what do you do always felt like a social, like what's your social value question? I agree with that 100%. <laughs> yeah, so oftentimes like somebody will ask that and I don't wanna say like I work for X company doing X thing around the world. Like yeah, that's interesting. And if we're at a marketing event, it's appropriate. 
But if I'm in a conversation at a coffee shop or somebody's getting to know me, mm-hmm. then that's where like, well, I have this whole other thing that I consider like my work as a person. And my work as like, if, if I could say I'm an artist, then like there's that work. And that's the stuff that you're reading and thinking about. And that's like, that's what I do. And that's right. what I do in my job. And that's what I do out of my job. Well, and that's exactly what I'm, one of the things I'm curious about is you seem very passionate about exploring exploring how the technology and the apps and the, the products that we are building are affecting yeah, human society yeah. and culture and, and how it affects people and how that information can be manipulated or how people can be manipulated by using that information in certain ways. And, yeah. Definitely. And you seem very concerned with, with where, that's, where mm-hmm. that's going. Yeah, so um, do you know how many people have Facebook? Uh, no. But what would be the guess? Like tens of millions. Tens of millions. It's like over two billion now, right? Okay. So like when you think of percent of the world people <laughs> using one platform, it's huge. Um, and that's like one example. So like another challenge is when we think about like technology stories or impact, like we'll think Apple, Google, Facebook, and it's true, but those are like these behemoths. And so like they have their own set of problems at scale. But what's also interesting is like, and Instagram's another one of those, but we have these companies that start out with a few people, maybe like, you know, one to 10 to 13 people can start a company that then has hundreds of millions of users or even a million users. Right. So the scale of impact from what you can make to who you can reach is like really big, mm-hmm. more people than you can ever know. And so part of the question that like one of the curious questions I have is like, what's our responsibility then as makers in the technology space to those people or to that scale? Mm-hmm. And um, you know, right now we're just making and disrupting and um, there's this really interesting, I can't remember his name, but he, he writes a, a book about like, you know, the machine age. And he talks about how Silicon Valley has become like the Rome of the world and all these digital roads lead back to there. And so they're impacting these economies all around the world. And really it, it doesn't come back to like a nation state or something. It comes back to this like one little corner of the planet. Right. Which and, is a- tiny number of people yeah and that's getting distributed there are other places now where you know there's there's places in israel and there's places um in ireland like there's places all over the world where innovation's happening and like you know i have a u.s centric view so i'm going to think of those places first right but there's these little pockets all over the world and there's like commerce going back to all those places for the impact that they're having and the disruption they're doing and so i just think it's worth asking like as a maker in the world with that much reach like what's my responsibility to the people Mm -hmm. i'm making for um and to the communities that we're impacting and maybe it won't change anything right away but like at least ask the question and um so i'm i think it'd be a great idea if the people that are making products in you know these large companies with lots of scale just ask those questions because it may change a little bit of what you do um yeah i don't know i also i also think of like uh all these questions end up going down to like, oh, capitalism. And like, we're in this system. <laughs> right. It's like, I get it, but we can't burn the whole thing. Right. I mean, m- maybe theoretically you could, but that's not likely. So um, I'm really curious about like, well, how do we change like subversion? How do we do art inside the machine? Like, how do we get the people that are making stuff to think about what they're making so they can exert their power and their caring on the products they make? So. 
Well, in one of the, <laughs> it was in one of your posts, um, and you say, measuring usefulness is much harder than measuring usage. Yeah, yes. And that, <laughs> that seemed to be a big thing for you of, of the impact, positive and negative, that an app, a technology, a thing. Yeah, so when you start to think about like how, um, like what a product does, right? Like w when you open up an app and a lot of us still have social media, I'm still trying to turn off more of it, but it's, <laughs> right. it's hard because I also want to know what's going on and be connected to the world from our small pocket. Um, but those things really are built to keep you just scrolling. And so what that takes is time. And so the easiest thing to measure, like as a product maker is like, are they using it? Are they clicking it? Are they looking at it? Um, and that's How what we're told to do. Yeah, so yeah. if you're making something as a creative, like that's also what you're doing. Like I'm writing something, I wanna know how many people are watching it or reading it. And so if I make something, that's the easiest thing to do because I can get a remote, like this passive metric where I can know like how many people looked at something. Right. What's harder to do, a lot harder, is to know if it's useful. Um, and so in that article, I did quote, um, I think his last name was Harrison, but he started this, sort of a, it's like a group that was going out to figure out how to measure usefulness. And so one of their examples was from um, couchsurfing.com, right? So you could rent these couches uh -huh. uh, or just stay at people's couches. And so what they did is they started surveying people like, like what was the positive experience? Like how much positive time did you have at a host house? And it, which is really cool. So they were trying to measure like how much positive experience in time people gained. And then they would pit that against like, well, if it took you 30 minutes or an hour to get like, to connect with someone and then get their couch so you could go stay there, that's like time that we took from you as a company for you to okay. figure this out. So we took one hour from you. How much time did you get back, right? Okay. Did you get back one hour or did you get back many hours? And so a lot of people would say like that they got six or eight hours of, you know, positive experience time, which is really useful time, but it's really hard to measure that because it's measuring something that's happening outside of the digital system. And so that's what's really hard to do. So okay. if somebody's watching this and we wanna know if they're getting value from it, like we can't, a watch doesn't tell us anything. Looking mm -hmm. at it doesn't tell us anything. It's like, did you take something from this conversation and change the way you operate in the world? Like that's really powerful. That's a huge metric. How well, you, it's how do you measure do you it? Is it a metric? That, I don't right? know, like, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, on, on a scale of one to 10, how much did this change your world yeah, sort and, of thing? And so, yeah, at, at scale for companies, that's really hard to do and it takes more time. Although, as I say that, uh, companies at scale may have actually more resources to decide to go sure. do that um, than a small group of creatives trying to figure out, you know, if you have 100 people reading something to go figure out, okay, did you actually change how you make things because you read yeah. this? That's hard to do. Right, yeah. right. And it seemed too that one of the things you've spent a lot of time thinking about, I'm curious too how all of this, that all of this that you're thinking of in sort of the mile high big picture, how is this affecting humanity kind of view, I'm curious how that plays into what mm. you do for your day job. But you've also written a lot about like how empathy has now been manipulated or how empathy becomes yeah. manipulation. Yeah, I'm still figuring that out. I think um, <coughs> empathy is good. It's like, it's the gateway to compassion, right? And um, so I'm just, I feel like a lay person <laughs> in, in that space of understanding what empathy really is deeply and what compassion really is deeply. Um, and compassion's hard because it sounds like such a, 
like the opposite of a technology word. It just sounds like a yoga ease word or a retreat <laughs> word or something that you inscribe on your kitchen in a nice font. You know, <laughs> like um, that you have like on your refrigerator. Yeah, yeah. In the, like, Compassion. Script. Today I will care for others. Yeah. Uh, yes, I, and I am grateful for. It. And but they're real good practices, and so I've been digging into that and sort of. Um, there's people doing research on the link between compassion and success and like what compassion really means. And so like a very basic understanding for me is that compassion means um, alleviating the suffering of others. And it, like in a simple term, it just means caring. But the difference between compassion and empathy from what I've been seeing is that compassion requires action. And so I think that's what a lot of people are looking for. Okay. So in the design community, there's this thing called uh, design thinking and it's used actually all over and then different industries basically do the same thing. They just have other frameworks that they call it by. Okay. So uh, yeah, so design thinking and, and the first pillar of the process of doing design thinking is empathy. You wanna understand others deeply. Okay. Um, because if you just care about somebody, you might not actually be able to help them. Like at all. Um, there was an article by, uh, it was somebody that works at IDEO, which is like one of the purveyors of design thinking. This this cool okay. design firm. And basically what they, what they were pointing out is like, if you care about somebody, but you don't understand them, then, you know, sometimes you're, you can't actually help them. And so they were going around and there was, um, it was some kind of medicine. I can't fully remember, but they were like, the people that were compassionate about helping their clients, they were like, oh, they have to like stick a needle in their arm multiple times a day to take this medicine. And it must just be like scary and it's a sacred event. And like they had all these preconceived notions and they wanted to go out and fix this problem because they really care about their patients. Right. But then when they went out and did the field research, what they realized is like people don't care that it's become a habit. They just like, they just they're on their it. phone, they're putting their medicine in. They don't even think about it. It's not scary. And so they were trying to care for them, but they didn't understand the problem. And so you need both the empathy and the compassion together. Um, and it seems like what I'm curious about though, like how does empathy become manipulation? Like why would, a, why would someone ever say that? Um, it's that when you're in a small group of people doing design, um, it's pretty easy to care about people and it seems like it's easy to have that conversation and when you talk about empathy compassion seems to be implied that like we have empathy and we're helping people mm -hmm. but at scale empathy is like in a system seems to become just knowing people or knowing about them rather than knowing them and so that's where it's like well if we know how people work then we can get them to do something and so i worked in um a technology company and I remember sitting around a table and we were talking about these experiences where we could know where one user was and if they were with someone else using that app and if you know it was a time of day near a location of something we could sell them right um, and then we were imagining that we could also know like their lifetime values of customer how much they would spend that's very common in the land of digital marketing but then you could also start to infer based on spending patterns like when they're most likely to buy, mm. right? That becomes very manipulative all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. And in the land of technology, there's this language we use, um, we use, because <laughs> I'm in the land of technology. <laughs> uh, and I, I, yeah, people phrase it as um, their guests, right? And so like, we're just trying to be good hosts. Like there's this, like, oh, we care. And it just started to look like we didn't really care. It was just some language to make us feel okay, right. like we care. And so, um, it's like, well, they're a guest and when they walk into the digital, digital store, it should be optimized for them, which is true. That's fine. 
but it becomes really creepy at a point where if you were to come over to my house and I like had your favorite music playing, I had your favorite <laughs> food, I had changed the art out, right. like you'd start to be like, what, what's going on here, Ron? Like you're wearing a shirt I just yeah. bought myself. And then suddenly I tell you that you can buy all the plates. This is amazing. <clears throat> and you're like, I thought we were just hanging out. Um, yeah, so I think um, it's like we've gone way beyond the idea of someone's a guest and we want to take care of them. And we've, you know, it's that high end, it's a store, right? That's the idea is to sell someone something. Um, so, you know, I don't want to like lie to myself that we're not trying to sell stuff. Right, um, right. But at some point we have to start asking the questions about the tools we have mm -hmm. and if it's okay and if we've gone too far. And so one of the analogies that I've thought about is like if your doctor knew that you had diabetes and they decided to try and sell you donuts instead of tell you that you had diabetes, that would be wrong. Um, and doctors have ethical rules around that. Um, and I don't know, like, we're still figuring out what that is in the world of design and technology. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's some stuff there, and there are definitely groups of people that are working on that. Um, but it is possible that an advertising agency might know that, like, someone is overweight, they spend a ton of money, and they're trying to do X. And instead of, like, giving them a real solution, they just try and sell them, you know, right, down that hole. Right. And uh, so I'm just curious, like, is there a way, like, how do you stop that? Or how do you, like, give people a better framework of thinking? Or how do you impact a system? And, you know, so I have some ideals. I don't think that that's the world that will come about very rapidly. But if we can infect the people making stuff at scale with ideas of compassion or caring or, you know, just asking some of these questions, maybe it'll change you know, some of what we're making, maybe not, but, uh, it's a hope. So that's the world I want. So, right, right. um, that's the world that I'll push forward and explore. <clears throat> yeah. Does that, but does that play out in, in your day job? So just yeah, like, so like, are you the, are you the advocate for like compassionate design or? <laughs> I mean, no, is the easy answer. Like probably not. <laughs> like it's, it's an idea. I mean, you know, in a sense, like I care about the people we're making stuff for, um, I feel a little bit fortunate and I'm not in a consumer product space. Like okay. I'm in a business space. So that business has, you know, bought our product cause it solves their problem. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we're really specifically designing and making stuff for them. And there's an even exchange of, you know, money value, which is, right. makes it more simple, right. um, in a way, uh, you know, you know, they're getting utility out of this yeah. because they're willing to buy it. The question is way harder when you're working in a space where you're essentially selling advertising time. Um, because at some point it becomes like, well, maybe the business model just doesn't work this way. And mm -hmm. I think that's what a lot of people w would say or would argue is like, that's nice, Ron, but <laughs> like not, not practical unless we're going to change the business model. And maybe the business models do change. I don't know. Right. Um, but yeah, so for me, like, that's exactly the question. Like, cool idea. Like, how do I bring it down to my personal life? That's always, you know, one of the questions. So like mentoring students or other groups is like an outlet for that. It doesn't all happen in my job. Um, caring about the people that I'm making stuff for and my team members. Um, you know, when you're slogging through a big project, sometimes you kind of get in this place where you might just want to say, yeah, let's do what you requested and let's ship it right. rather than like exploring if that's really the right solution. And then, um, you know, doing the harder work to keep caring. Uh -huh. Um, but if I stop caring about the work I'm doing, then like I should probably go do something else. <laughs> so, yeah, <clears throat> I don't know. That's, right. <laughs> yeah, that's a hard question. <laughs> But it seems like those are the, I mean, just looking at your blog, like if I look at the categories on your blog, 
I, I describe it as your blog. I mean, it is your website. But yeah, it's it seems a website. Like it's, it's mostly design, there for you the, to communicate your ideas. Yeah, definitely. But like your categories are creative condition, cutting edge strategy, design, execution, and the future. The future. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was very curious. Yeah. I was like, well, let's go to the future. Let's see what Ron predicts. <laughs> Did it take you to a new website? <laughs> yeah, Welcome like, to the new internet. Yeah, right, yeah. By 2050, we'll be doing that. Yeah, that's, uh, that's my utopian vision. You right, can sign yeah. up. It's only $750,000. Right. <laughs> you get a first ticket to space um, on a space company I haven't yet invented. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. But, but it's yeah, coming yeah, because yeah. you can see the future, yep. so you're taking reservations. Yeah. It, what's funny is like... Um, um, I'm probably like a lot of creatives and that I like struggle with like what to call the things I'm making. And so creative condition is interesting to me. Like I, early on it was like creative leadership and I was like, ah, that term sounds so corporate now. And like, mm -hmm. what's creative leadership? Mm -hmm. And I started to think about what I was really writing about in that section. And I was like, I'm kind of talking about the environment that it takes to be creative in. And so then I changed it to creative condition. Like, what are the things that I need and what's the space I need to be creative in? Right. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of the day job work I do. Um, but then I also have, like, I'm always working on some kind of side hustle at the same time. And so um, sometimes that's in the form of a company or a project that has some sort of commerce component to it. Mm -hmm. um, little startup ideas. Um, and it also takes the form of, like, when I was at eBay, on the side, I learned how to make a mobile game and put out a mobile game for no reason, like just for kicks, because it was a cool medium to work in. Right, right. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, there's always something on the side of the day job. And then part of that is finding a space to collaborate with people on, you know, got some ideas, like how do I bring those into the real world with projects or people? Right, right. Yeah. So I want to I sort of integrate like what we're talking about in your, in your current life but also jump back to like you you said in another blog post that you had dropped out of college because you were sounds like being pretty successful in web design web development you would think that's what it was you, <laughs> yeah you that, were, am i making the wrong people's assumption people's parents there? would hope that there was a monetary reason no um, yeah so i actually got asked by some friends to go um, is this like, this is back when you are in this college? This is back, yeah, when way I was in college in for two terms, way back in the two, day. Oh, two, two whole, whole two terms. semesters. Yeah. I took two semesters of, uh, of art history, actually, which was great. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'll go, yeah, I'll explain that, and then we'll, we'll drop back a little bit more. So, I dropped out of college because some friends of mine got signed to a band, and they were going to be traveling the country on a tour bus, uh -huh. and they said, do you want to come be like our roadie? You can sell merch. We'll pay you 50 <laughs> bucks a day. <laughs> So I That's said, 50 awesome. bucks a day to travel the country, I'm in. Right. Um, and I actually had a full ride to the community college. Um, I was like the student body leadership council president or something. Um, but the leadership people at the college were crazy. I remember this, um, this person running around, I mean running around, she was walking around, hands up, yelling at people about budget. This was the adult in the room. Oh, this and I wasn't was like, a student. no, this, this wasn't like a student. This was like the person adult. leading the leadership people. Okay. And like, good just, leadership example there. <laughs> just cr kind of crazy. <laughs> and I was like, I don't really want to be part of this. Right. And that happened for a couple of weeks. And then we had this like summer break and we were supposed to come back and do stuff. And that was like the environment. And so, um, yeah, I just decided like, okay, I'll drop out and I'll make websites and I'll travel the country. Um, I actually started, um, I started making websites in high school and I made it mostly for bands and then a few times it was like for you know 
parents of friends that wanted a small website and that's what I started doing. Um, so when I turned 18, I was like, I'm gonna start a business and I went to the courthouse here in Oregon and got my LLC and like I started a business. Um, and so that's, that's what I, I did at 18. And so at the time I was in college, I was like, I can drop out, I'll just freelance and do websites. Uh -huh. Cause that's the world that we had like entered into is this uh -huh. place where you could make your own job, which was really cool. So yeah, that's kind of how I ended up dropping out of college and right. traveled the country. I saw all the, the like as a 13. And make websites on the side. Yeah, it worked <laughs> pretty <awesome>. good. <laughs> it worked pretty that's good. That's a pretty compelling, like, I can see when you're 18, 19, you're like, yeah, I could, yeah, sounds like a plan to me. Yeah, and then I came back and just worked in a cafe and talked to people and handed out business cards. And like, that's how I got my initial work was just like learning how to talk to people and hand out business cards. I would keep them in my apron. Uh -huh. And then just like if somebody, like I learned this trick where, um, I forgot about this actually, I would ask somebody like, so what do you do? And they would tell me, uh -huh. and then they would say, well, what do you do besides, you know, this? Uh -huh. And I'd say, oh, actually I make websites. And then I'd hand them my card and their coffee. And like, <laughs> I'd just sit there and do that. Yeah. That's awesome. So that was like early, early days, yeah. And then that, I guess, just going down that rabbit hole led you further and further. Now it seems that you, you function in a more sort of, uh, I mean, certainly in a higher, a higher plane than just like web yeah. design, web development. It sounds yeah, like I it's do, much more yeah. conceptual. Yeah, I do zero web design at this point, except yeah. for, for myself, like, right. I, you know. Um, and we do, I got to do a project with um, professor here in town, Kyle Fletcher. Uh, we we did some some digital work that actually ended up in a museum and that was like really fun to explore a little Mm -hmm. little space and we were playing with like how machines change language and um one of the things that happens in artificial intelligence i just find this stuff fascinating so yeah. like then i just want to like find out more about it so we built this uh, really simple tool which basically you would talk out loud around this screen it would take in your language convert it um into like i don't know pick out some verbs and nouns and stuff and then we do an image search and return like gifts related to what you were saying okay so you could be talking about california and then you would start getting all these images of california on the screen okay and you're just around it so it's this interesting reflecting mirror but what was cool about that as a concept was that um in the world of machines that we live in like they have millions of inputs now and they still only have one output to be right so like if you're talking to siri and you say some stuff, like it interprets it, it has all this like vast knowledge, and then its response is like, it has one shot to give you something mm -hmm. meaningful. And I just thought that was really interesting. And in the land of something more abstract, like images, we tend to assume machines are kind of smart now. And so like when we get something back, like we then interpret that as correct. So in the land of images, it was really interesting because the images that were returning to people were more abstract, but once you know the machines like responding to you, you start interpreting those images as correct. So if you're talking about California and for some reason the machine shows a picture of trees, you'd probably assume like, well, it must be trees from California. Okay. But the machine could just be totally wrong. And I thought that was really interesting. <laughs> so sounds like what the compelling part of that is that we've sort of stopped questioning on some level the results. Yeah we're getting from you know the machines the the, the cloud the internet yeah i didn't think about that but yeah take it take it for granted that it's right i yeah i guess so yeah i mean in a sense that's um uh, i guess we just put together this thing to see what would reflect back and that was like mm -hmm. one of those things um 
It's like, I guess we just, we just take stuff for granted all the time. You know, my map's going to the right place until you realize that the new Apple Maps doesn't have a gas station where you thought it was and you're low on gas. Right, right. Which has happened to me twice. So <laughs> I didn't use Apple Maps for like a couple of years till they got that fixed. Now you're just bitter. Now, now I'm just, just angry. I'm just upset. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know. It's just like, it's kind of a strange thing to like just focus on concepts sometimes because it feels like they become ideals that you're not able to act. So part of the trick is like mm -hmm. taking some idea that maybe is more global and then figuring out how to apply that down at a very practical level. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one of those thinking concepts I really like. Uh, I call it skydiving, right? Like you have the 30,000 foot view and then I want to go down all the <coughs> way to the ground and know like, okay, well, like you said, well, so how do you implement compassion in your job? And that's, I think, exactly the right question for all the things that we might think of that are high-minded it's like how do we get to the like how i work as a person right um and that's uh like i don't know i don't know how much you've read on philosophy have you read in the space of philosophy yeah same amount as bit. me this yeah. much yeah okay then we can talk about it right, uh, yeah. we can both be totally wrong uh, 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 so early on i remember thinking like you know there's philosophers and then there's philosophies and i always thought like philosophy was like how you think about something and then i learned that there's this other way where philosophy means like the way you operate and so it's okay. not philosophy of like how i think about something it's like philosophy of how i actually do things mm -hmm. um and so there's a there's there's a number of books on like the philosophy of life and it's like how you live your life not what you think about life right. um and so a lot of these ideas, I started wondering like, oh, are these like, what's my philosophy of creativity? Not like, how do I do or think about creativity, but like, how do I do it? And so that's kind of the same question for any of the things that I guess I'm thinking about is like, how do I do, um, how do I not manipulate people with the work I'm doing, right? right. How do I have compassion in the work I'm doing? Um, I don't know, how do I find out how to be a better human when I'm making tools that replace human in, uh, uh, you know, with automation or, or where's the space for a person in automation. Um, right. So, yeah, that's well, a lot of that's stuff. And that's a phrase you've used repeatedly is like, how do we as humans become better humans or mm -hmm. more human in a world where so, where so much of our day-to-day -day life is, like you've talked about how it's, you know, how we're so affected by technology that sort of manipulates us and runs our day-to-day -day mm -hmm. lives and how we're how the the technology has taken over some roles that used to be for people yeah so it's like how do we become better people in the face of that yeah there's a well, do, you yeah. have, do you have the answer yet ron <laughs> yes no there's so many thoughts like one thought that popped in my head as you were saying that's like oh yeah the guy that invented the like button on facebook like he doesn't like he restricts his usage of social media right and you have a lot of these executives coming out of these social components that now are rejecting the things that they've made mm -hmm. um although i heard one person go in front of a bunch of students and start talking about how like just take all the money you can from the system do the work and then try and do good and I was like what that's like, like steal stuff first and then do good with Indeed, your stolen right. things like I don't know it just was um, it, it's a weird time we live in so people yeah. are trying to figure out like you know answers to that and right. some of them are better than others um, sorry I like went well, way no, off track and, there. And, but what you were just saying about like you know you like get your make your make your dollars 
and yeah. then like you know then go do good it's like yeah haven't we already shown that that doesn't pan out that way totally. like usually you're like yeah. 20 years in and i think that's like some of the grief of like that millennials get is like i mean there's a lot of questions of entitlement and there's questions of like they want to do good in the world and i'm like yeah but that's like a there's this pendulum swing in culture and so like does that mean that like maybe the the generation before didn't do good and the generation before seemed to not care as much and they mm-hmm. got in debt more and now there's this swing to say well i you know i want the opposite of those things cuz that's what the generation before did like so um yeah i think there is this desire to do good now but it's hard because we're not in a system that like rewards that or measures that and like good is this weird amorphous term that's slightly mm-hmm. different for different mm-hmm. people and technology is global not national not even regional so like you know <laughs> we have all these like one tool being used by people all over the world and they everybody uses it in different ways um not one tool but there's like many technologies now that um they're not tied to necessarily like one place anymore so if you make something it can be used in many different contexts all over the world and like the needs of those people and what they see as good is going to be slightly different um and then there's all this tension around people trying to figure out what that is and so um online it's like super you know contentious now because you have this tension around what people think is right and righteous and good and there's just uh, everyone in the world that disagrees with each other is like now in one place um so it's kind of interesting to to watch that and wonder like can we improve that somehow uh, uh, and i'm sure there's a big component of folks that work in tech that are like that's not the question we're here to answer like we're not here to answer whether this is good or beneficial we're here to uh, whatever do x more efficiently or yeah create a new system for doing y totally and i like i don't really understand all that so part of it feels like uh, like maybe i'm way in over my head even asking some of these questions but they seem like we should at least start asking them and Mm -hmm. um maybe what's cool about online or putting your ideas into the world is that it's like it's my idea right there's maybe there's an idea of like oh if empathy becomes manipulation at scale what does compassion become and um and there's actually other questions around that well empathy doesn't always become manipulation just sometimes so why is that or you know compassion at scale can be corrupted too it looks like this or compassion at scale in a good way looks like this Um, And there's so much I don't know, but by putting those ideas out into the world, then other people pick them up. They're no longer like connected to me that it's just an idea. Somebody else picks it up and they can play with it and send it back. And I think that's what's really, you know, for all the the talk of, there's two parts of the internet. One part is that like, there's really big megaphones for small amounts of people that are doing bad, but there's also really big megaphones for people that need megaphones now. And there's like, there's good and bad all happening at the same time. So, um, you know, one solution is like burn the whole thing down, but then we lose all this other, you know, goodness that's come out of it. So I think that's where we're at is like, we're trying to figure out like, how do we put guardrails on this thing and keep people safe, but let us still drive cars. Um, Mm -hmm. so as opposed to just like blow up all the roads. Yeah. Blow up all the cars. We're done. And we'll just fly (laughs) from now on. Yeah. Well, that's maybe that's what we need to do. Everyone is a remote worker. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Machines do all the lifting. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, so I don't know. Just I find it fascinating to explore that space. Okay. Um, and then I guess I don't know. Yeah, 
I don't know, there's just all these like dots that you can connect. Um, right. And so that to me is super fascinating. Like as a, uh, I want to say as a creative person, but what's funny is uh, as soon as I say that, Elizabeth Gilbert's quote of like saying creative people is redundant. Like all people are creative. Oh, all people are creative, yeah. right? And so yes. it's like, yes and no. Like there's, <clears throat> everyone's creative and some people have forgotten maybe is a better way to yeah. phrase yeah. it. Um, so I like to find all the dots and then figure out how to like cross intersect them. And so in, when you're working in the space of innovation, like there's this, you know, you're trying to disrupt, you're trying to come up with something new and like innovation is like looking at the status quo, what is, and then like replacing that or breaking that or changing that. And so you can do that in a bunch of ways. So one of the easiest or most, I guess it's like an easy way to do it, which is sort of strange is like to look at um, spaces that I know nothing about and then talk to people in those spaces and learn those concepts mm. and then bring them back and contextualize them in my space. So that's like when you say there's like lots of little dots sometimes, that's like, I find it super fascinating to try and pull a bunch of dots together and then see like what something looks like or what's new between them. Right. Yeah. Can you, like, I get the, I get the idea, the concept of what you're talking about within your, within your field, within your job, like, is there a, is there an instance where that has actually played out or you've? Yeah. Um, now I'm trying to think, well, so yeah, I did a side project that was pretty interesting. Um, it was, a I call, <laughs> uh, me and my friend Jimmy worked on a project where we wanted to mix, um, I don't know how to like phrase this is the nexus of two evils, social media and real estate. Um, okay. <laughs> so this is the nexus of two evils and uh, real estate agents didn't know how to like do social media essentially, mm -hmm. or they'd pay a ton of money to other people to automate it. So all the automation was really spammy. And so we looked at the research and we saw that um, basically what was happening is real estate agents had more posts on average than any other industry vertical, but their engagement was the lowest. Okay. So it seemed pretty obvious that they're posting tons of stuff and like no one, no one was interacting, right? It wasn't like ratcheting up. They were just like, well, I'll just keep throwing more stuff online into all the social medias. Um, and so we were like, well, can we make a more authentic, like, you know, can we make a more authentic content, a more authentic content? Can we make more authentic content or help people do that? And would that be more engaging? And so when we started to help people make authentic content, content that they created or had a hand in that was from their actual world instead of just stock reviews and stock photos and stock okay. articles, engagement went way up. So it was like, okay, we're onto something. And then we built this tool that allowed real estate agents to basically just like, they would get um, prompts via text that would sort of prompt them for content. They would take a picture and send a caption. It would go about and they'd get some messages back. And then what would happen is a real human team would then like edit that content and then they would hit a button and it would post to social media and then the real estate agent would get a message back. So it was this like part automated, part human loop. Okay. And we built some really cool backend where like you could see when a human was responding or when a, a machine was responding. So it was kind of this cool like marriage of those ideas. And that was like pulling ideas from, you know, the space of like automated messaging and the space of mm -hmm. content writing and like what we saw happening in some areas of text and like mixing them together. And so that was, kind of a cool thing to make. Um, it turns out that it's not that valuable because <laughs> it didn't have a direct path to impact. So, you know, we ended up stopping, okay. stopping the project. Um, but yeah, so that was like one thing where you're just like mixing some other existing ideas together to make something new that changes how people work. Um, and the people that used it really liked it. Um, right. Yeah. And I'm thinking like 
when I was at um, a former tech job, we would do this practice where you would just come up with like 50 ideas a week, like just 50 ideas. Didn't really right. matter if they were good. The idea was to get through all of the bad ideas to find the new ones. And so we would just, that's what we would do, just churn through ideas. Um, and eventually you'd find something and you'd, you'd implement it. Um, and then once you implement, you realize like the thing you made is not what people want, but you learn and then you adjust. Right. And that's the whole product <coughs> development process in the technology space. Like you make something, you put it out, you see what's wrong with it, and then you just keep going through that loop. So. Well, that was another thing you talked a lot about on your, on, in one of your blogs was iteration of like develop the idea and then keep developing variations of the idea yeah. If for no other reason than to see that the original idea was the right idea. Yeah, so that's something that I do all the time in the day job and everywhere else. Um, I, I can't remember what the phrase is, but it's like forcing yourself to find an additional option. So, um, you know, when you're confronted, this all feels so abstract and I'm having a hard time like thinking of like something specific right. that yeah, I can okay. say. But yeah, um, <coughs> if you're building something, um, there's oftentimes, you know, you've got all these limitations around the thing you're making and so you have to solve these little problems all the time. And like, that's what design is, you just solve these problems and, um, and communicate the intent. Um, and so, yeah, uh, the idea would be that you want to solve a problem and so you, you come up with an idea and a lot of times your first idea is actually really good and you could run with it. Um, but I like to push that off the cliff and like take the idea further mm -hmm. and then find out like why the bad ideas are bad, right? So at least come up with a couple other options. So if I have three options in my head out the gate, like force myself to find a fourth option and it, maybe it won't work, but like then I can understand why it doesn't work. Okay. And that helps inform like my good decision is good because it's not these other things. Okay. So it's just sort of that, like how you process um, decisions. Yeah. And so, in the in the world where you move professionally, like how does someone? What is it? What is someone looking for when they're like, we need to hire Ron Sparks. He is the man to to do X. People don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> they say, ah, we couldn't get X. <laughs> like, well, we couldn't get these five other yeah. guys. Find someone I cheaper. I guess we'll just deal with. <laughs> we Ron. need someone cheaper. Does anybody know? Um, yeah, so I, um, you know, like I said, right now I work a full-time job, um, and then I, I generally work with people when, there's two, there's two things that happen. One is they have an idea and they don't know how to make it. Like they have a technology idea and then I'll get calls or people will text me like, somebody has an idea to make an app. Can you, like, we can talk about it, but that's such a broad thing to say. Uh -huh. And so usually it's getting from, I have an idea to made thing. That's like, I work in that space. And either you have an idea um, and you have a bunch of resources and you want to make a thing or you have a bunch of resources and you want to like remake something. So it's remaking or making new things and that's usually where I come in. So um, that's what happened with the group that I'm at now is like it was time to remake the product okay. um, which okay. was really awesome and so I got to come in at this time where they had this uh, and I'm intentionally not talking a lot of specifics. Sure, um, yeah, no, I but get that because it was really awesome. Sign. Yeah non-disclosure agreements yeah, and stuff. Yeah, and just being sensitive to the group that I care so much about. Right. So, um, yeah, there was uh, just this awesome product that was like super robust. And so it was amazing and a lot of people used it, but it was time to like take it to the next evolution of the product. And so I got to come in and um, it's like one of my favorite things to do is like take what's there, pull it all apart, put all the pieces everywhere, and then map out what exists now 
and mm -hmm. then take that and remap it in a new way and say, okay, how do we take all these pieces and re-put them back together? And then, um, you know, both in concept and then in a practical form of product design. So that was the, that was the work I got to do and I, <coughs> I love doing that. Um, and so that's when I usually get a call. And then mm -hmm. right now, like I, I mentor and work with a couple of small startups here in town. And so the idea there is that, you know, they've got some idea and they need to know both like, well, how do we, how do we get to the essence of this idea? And then great, now that we better understand our idea, how do we work with a group of people to communicate what we really want? And mm -hmm. um, there's a tendency like when people have ideas to overbuild. So you have this wonderful idea and when you have an idea that's really big or has a really huge vision, like you can see like how it could be made and in all its facets. But to start, you, okay. you always need this little tiny wedge to like start. And so a lot of times I just help people like make their wedge to get in the door or to start something and get it going. And then, you know, once they're going, it can turn into something else. Yeah. Okay. So that, that helps me understand yeah. <laughs> some of what you do. Yeah. And I, so yeah, I work in the space of digital product for the most part. Okay. So there's like ideas that I have and I'd like to infect the world with, and I'd like to have conversations about, um, and that's sort of in the realm of art. And then I make some things in that space. And then there's like this space of side projects. Um, yeah, sometimes yeah. they're companies, sometimes they're, you know, just whatever seems appropriate to make. Um, a lot of times though it's companies. And then there's like some mentoring or just working with other people that are up and coming. And that work is all in the space of almost exclusively like digital product. Um, and it has to do with design and how you execute the design and how you get the talent. Um, and so it's just like helping those smaller groups kind of get going. Okay. Um, and then of course I have my day job and that takes up like a big chunk of time. And so everything else kind of has to fit within that. Right, right. Um, and then you have to figure out how to keep, um, keep your edge and you know, keep taking in content and yeah. So one of the things that like I'm really curious about is how, like how did you get from being the like 20 year old college dropout who's touring with a band and making websites on the side to, yeah. to to be not not so much step by step how you got from from totally. there to here, but like why, at what point in the in that timeline or in that process, did you go like oh, this this is this is kind of my thing? Yeah, and I, this is something I, I want to explore and develop further. Yeah, actually, like I remember early on, I had um, well a couple of things. So I'll go back really far but quickly um so i grew up with like a single mom who's a badass and she worked construction and so she hung off the side of bridges grinded concrete laid rebar wow. and um i grew up like with the thought of like my mom's stronger than your dad like that's one of the ways i coped with that you yeah know? yeah and uh we would go on field trips from i don't know where we were albany in oregon or salem and and up to Portland, just, you know, to OMSI, we'd be in the big yellow school bus. And I remember like, I would be looking for my mom working on the freeway, you know, and like- Oh, that's neat, yeah, that's and I, cool. And I remember one time like, I, like in my memory, I saw her waving, sure. yeah, who yeah. knows, but like- Could have been some random Yeah, person, yeah, and so I grew up with like, my mom was like, worked really hard. And I remember like having to sleep in the back of her car at one point because like, we like, she couldn't find babysitters. So like we would go on the night site, right? Like that's how right. I grew up. Um, and so I just had this like innate sense of, there's both a lot of privilege in where I'm at and the things we can do. But I also saw like my mom work really hard and struggle really hard for a long time. Um, and so by the time I was in high school, like something happened where like a friend showed me how to program HTML 
And then like, I actually wanted to do video. That was like the thing that I was hoping to do. It turns out like video takes a lot of effort. It's really hard. <laughs> and, um, Ask these guys, right? Yeah, yeah. And it was, um, it was really expensive to go to the cool film school. Oh, oh of course, like, yeah, um, if you want to go to actual film yeah, school. Yeah, we road like... trip to Santa Barbara. I saw the uh, Brooks Institute of Photography yeah, visited, yeah. really cool. But uh, like, as a 18-year-old or whatever, it was like $54,000 a year or every two years. Whatever the money was, it was unimaginable. Right. And I was never on that path of like, you're going to go to college. I think it was more like, well, I hope you can get scholarships. We didn't really think about it yet. Right. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where we were. But in, in that path, like I had fallen in love with video. And then there was this moment where at the time there was flash animation. And I, I was like, oh, I can animate stuff and like make videos digitally. I don't need to like keep recording stuff off tape and whatever. So I had that epiphany that I could create things digitally and like there's a lot of control in that. Um, and so I really went down that path of designing and developing at the same time. And I just remember spending like hours and hours doing it because I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of what happened is I got addicted to the feedback loop. When you do programming, you like make something and you hit a button or you don't hit a button and like you instantly get to see the result of what you're making. Okay. So it's just really tight feedback loop that's like instant right. um, and I really like that a lot um, and so so somewhere in there I got addicted to like designing and developing stuff and then that turned into a business and then I thought oh, I'll do a business and um, I ended up basically because of the travels across the country I ended up in Florida and all my friends went to the Ringling College of Art and Design I didn't I worked at like a wheelchair lift company whose boss also made turbocharged like supercars <laughs> <laughs> So uh, Florida juxtaposition, yeah. And um, so I just talked a lot about design and, and learned a lot from them. And then I, uh, we went on this trip to Seattle and they came with me and like there was this amazing poster conference of all things. And I was just like, Seattle is where design's happening. I need to go there. Uh, okay. So I went to Seattle. And then like through that, I got connected with just, you know, a lot of the cutting edge technology groups and um, just got a lot of exposure to different ways that things work and in the land of business and design and I remember having this epiphany early on like I'd always had these like little goals you know and then you get the goal and you're like I gotta have a new goal and one of them was like I would love to be like the top you know five percent of designers in the world like I don't even know how you would measure that but then what I realized is that it doesn't matter from a business perspective like sort of depressingly as a creative at some point you realize like your craft is totally different than the business side. Mm -hmm. And so I learned, I saw, I worked at this um, agency who had a really cheesy name that I won't say the name of. They were like smaller. (laughs) They're owned by a husband and wife. And they would just, I was like, got called in through some staffing firm and ended up working there. And they would just be pissed at each other. And they'd be arguing out loud, walking through the office. And I was like, what's going on? But what I learned there was that the work that I was charging like $3,000 for, they were charging $30,000 for. And I was like, I can do better work than this. And I'm the one doing the work now. Like, why? Like, what's going on here? Um, And from a pure business side, you could talk about overhead and all these things. But what it really comes down to is, like, sales. And so I went and got, like, a business mentor. Um, And I, you know, he he taught me. I hired him. And he taught me, like, how you think about value in business and how you get confirmation with somebody about what they want first speaking before sending them a contract. And like, I just learned all these basics of business that I didn't know. I didn't have any business acumen. I'd just been making stuff and trying to sell it. Right. And that's like, thinking that, that yes, yeah, that was the artist way. Like is. I'll make the best stuff ever and people will love it. But actually you can like 
like you cannot make anything and like you, you can be somebody that sells something because you understand what people want um, and so I ended up learning more about the business side and my business took off and it was awesome um, and I went to this event called Startup Weekend and through some crazy connections there I like designed and built this thing in like a couple of days and then a friend of mine was like well now he's a really good friend of mine he was like can you come do that for us like we won this a couple months ago and I was like oh, okay cool and so that was like you know unfortunately and unfortunately um, a lot of times it ends up being who you know and so um, a good friend of mine Josiah one time asked he, he, he was, it was a trick question he was like same thing, like, well, why are you successful in whatever, you know, and whatever success means, but I, I felt like I was successful, and I started to explain how hardworking I was, and how I'd done this thing for a long time, and, you know, I'd freelance for 10 years, and he's like, no, you knew somebody, and it was just a reminder that, like, mm -hmm. okay, yeah, I am a hard worker, but the other 50% of it is, like, luck, and it's just, like, privilege, and, like, where I'm at, and um, so I have been fortunate enough to like you know even coming from humble beginnings yeah hard working but the other part is i bumped into the right people and i had that right, opportunity right. and so i bumped into some of those people and then once i was in the door that allowed me to keep bumping into people um and keep moving up and mm -hmm. figuring out like I, I got to be part of really cool innovation teams early on and the goal is always to like kind of make new things and break stuff and move quick and yeah, so I just got to learn a lot in the creative technology space because of those opportunities. Yeah, so it's who, who I bumped into right. working hard one weekend in Portland. <laughs> <laughs> and then my mom. Those are probably the two things. Right, <laughs> so, right, so yeah. that work ethic came directly from your mom. Yeah, and then the luck came because, like, I guess, you know, some sense of putting myself out there, and then, like, mm -hmm. I was born in the year 1980-something, and lived in a time where there's computers and so this worked out like right, right. that's the other part of it um, if I had been born 20 years early of course like the job titles I do now don't exist so right, right. like it couldn't even have been possible um, which I always find fascinating like you know like to put our timelines in the scale of time that's larger and think about you know what, what could yeah, be or yeah. you know what would be different yeah so, yeah is your mom still around? Is she? Yeah, definitely. Uh, she so she ended up. Um, she had rebar through her shoulder at one point doing construction, and she had. Uh, she was <laughs> recovering from does, that. Right? Yeah, like and then she. Hate it when that happens. Um, they were in a truck going through like a barrier, and she ended up getting gasoline in her eyes actually as well. Oh, Jesus. Um, and so, which normally you would not have any kind of open gasoline, you know, it's just one of the, I don't exactly remember how it happened or why, but I definitely remember my mom coming home with bandages over her eyes for three weeks. Oh my God. Um, and she recovered. She's, you know, she can see mostly fine. She wears glasses or whatever. Um, but that was, uh, yeah, so she got injured. And then like when you hang off the side of bridges and you grind, um, it's real bad on your back. And so I just remember lots of, taking lots of drugs to, get rid of the pain and eventually it was like you know she was too broken to keep doing that work and so um luckily at the time the company paid for her to go get an appraisal license and she ended up sort of moving out of that into the space of um, appraisals and that's what she does now oh so, wow okay yeah so you know it worked out well but you know not for not for pain <laughs> or right, lack of pain right, right. yeah um uh, yeah and so that that's it's it sounds like she's in a lot of ways, kind of your, maybe not role model directly, but in terms of... Only if she's not watching this. 
<laughs> yeah. but, but that she she you you hold that memory in your head of of what of the example she set. Yeah, well, and you kind of try to follow that. Yeah, what's weird is like when you look back at um, your story, you know, like I don't know, we put it all together with a thread, right? So like, and then everything seems to have a meaning and a purpose. So that's like the meaning and purpose right. of where right. where it comes from that I assign to, like, um, and just like as a kid and the memories I have, like that just makes sense. Um, so there's always going to be a, a place. Um, where she sits and and having given me a leg up from all the hard work um, that she did and all the pain and and also like I still have uh, a lot of family members that like you know I work on a computer all the all the day all the while <laughs> all the all the live long <laughs> <Yeah>. day <laughs> but like that's not what all of my family does like um, a lot of people like are you know out sweating all the time and so for any complaint I have I also have to remember like I'm really fortunate right, to be able right. to like have time to read books and like think about stuff and to be able to make things on a computer like there's so much that I'm like very fortunate for so I think the other part of what happens is like I get to it just gives me some perspective right because like yeah 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 I don't know I like for all the hardness of whatever I'm doing might be I just there's different types of hardness and I'm fortunate to be doing the hard work that I'm doing right um, I think that's a great way to put it of like yeah it's hard work but relative to Right. hard physical labor it's not <laughs> yeah totally or it's a whole different type of hard yeah i don't know yeah exactly um and when you were when you were younger and you were sort of you know you're like ah, i'm gonna move to florida i'm gonna move to seattle i'm gonna yeah what, was your mom was your was your family were they like yeah ron go for it or were they like buckle down and get a real job or yes yeah, so i had a mom and a really awesome stepdad um and I, th I don't fully remember the conversation, but it was, yeah, go for it. You know, if you, if you want, um, I definitely have like the memory of like, you can do anything sort of in uh -huh. my mind, you know, I, maybe that's the American way. Right. Um, you could be president or, you know, yeah. an astronaut. Um, <laughs> go to Mars. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, I don't know. That's, um, there was definitely support for all of that. I don't know why, um, but there was like, <laughs> I'm, I don't have any kids, but like thinking about like having kids, I'm like, man, that's uh, one of the things I got to do, which shaped my worldview is when I was younger um, and more connected to a religious group, um, I got the opportunity to go to Mexico and we, we built a home there. We like went to some prisons in California down on the way. And um, it really changed my worldview about like what it means to be, um, I don't know, it was right across the border and people lived in huts and like shacks. Mm -hmm. and really really changed my worldview of like how i think about immigration or you know the compassion that like is generated from seeing that people live differently than you at a really young age and i've definitely had that thought of like oh man like like my mom is just like cool you're 15 you can go to mexico like <laughs> i don't know like to the middle of nowhere like that's pretty cool so i think that that was um, known or unknown, I don't know, looking back, it was either encouraged, allowed, or tolerated, you know, in some fashion. <laughs> yeah. Like, in the secret, they might have been like, oh, dear yeah. God, this could go so wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was definitely tears when I moved across the country, but um, it wasn't, there was no, like, barrier to doing right. it, you know. Um, yeah, so that was, like, early on, I had a lot of those experiences that helped shape my worldview and realize, like, oh, people live differently than me, and um, yeah, so it was kind of wild. So I was allowed to explore and do a lot. So is your mom 
Is she on the West Coast or East Coast? Or? Uh, she's here in Oregon. Yeah. So she's here in Oregon. Yeah. Okay. So and then the, the other cool thing, which um, if anybody knows me now, it's like annoyingly I brag about my sister now as well because okay. she ended up at NASA. And she has a she has a whole story that should be told at some point. Wow! Uh, yeah, we she need was. To get her on the show. <laughs> I definitely. I thought she was coming. She's. Yeah, she's hang not. on just one second. Come on. In. Yeah, this is that moment. Um, right. This is your life, Ron Sparks. <laughs> midday TV show. Um, yeah. So she was a. I mean, it's her own story to tell, but she was a makeup artist at a really high level, and then decided like that's not just what I want to do, and so she went back to school for physics, community college, like you would do. Wow. Studied that while working at the, the tan salon, and then like through a lot of experience and super hard work, um, she ended up in a place where she now is uh, at Mission Control, and she, she is learning all the systems for the spacesuit so she can train astronauts, and she's learning how all the tools work so that anytime they're outside the ISS, like they're on call to solve problems or whatnot. Um, so you know, it's you know, it's very strange to look at like this beginning of like a place where like my mom worked construction hanging off the side of bridges and there was a point where we lived in a car and now like you know to look at what my sister's doing and um which seems way more meaningful than any of the work i do now i'm like what am i what am i doing with my life you're helping astronauts what am i doing um but it's cool to see like how how that worked out for whatever reason you know mm-hmm. um yeah. so i don't like i don't know what's going on there but to me, there's a, some common denominator of, of hard work infused in there, and then, you know, probably a lot of luck and a lot of sweat, and yeah. And it sounds like tenacity too. Of just you just kind of keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's part of it, and I don't know. You know, I've uh, this last year. We talked about this at some point, but this last year, I kind of had this moment where normally I'm the type of person that like wakes up early and I have something on my mind, and either like I have my most creative moments in the morning, and I'm like I'm going to write some stuff, or I'm going to think on some things, or I'm going to work on that project, and then like you know, eight o'clock rolls around or seven thirty, depends on when my team in the Ukraine right. needs me. Then I start work, um, and there was just like this period where I just wasn't waking up with any fire it was like okay when do i have to get up you know right and um so i felt like that was a moment where i realized like oh i have this like internal ambition almost at times that's annoying and i don't know why that's there and it's probably maybe it's just a personality trait um i'm not sure but i have this like this drive like i want to make stuff and like that's satisfying and i don't know why but it's just a desire to make things right right um and so when that was gone it felt like oh something's something's wrong (laughs) something's off it wasn't just like oh i'm relaxing it was like oh like i'm losing something that's like part of me and and i had to like reevaluate what like what was going on and and what was it i mean how like did you just kind of lose that spark for a while or you lost the opportunity to be creative or no i think honestly i was like um last year was super hard on the work front um both satisfying the stuff we made but it was like I was like nearing burnout and I just didn't have additional time to really consistently put into creating stuff because I was just working so much. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, the whole team that I work with is incredible. They all work a ton. And um, and I also had my days where it was like, you'd wake up early to talk to one side of the country, you'd work during the day and then talk to Japan in the evening. And so like, that's a full day and you'd go into the evening pretty late sometimes. And when you're trying to ship a product with that many people and you're the small group doing these amazing things, it's satisfying, but it's a lot of work. Right. And so I was just running nonstop. And after a while, I think that I was just, 
nearing that burnout, or maybe I was burnt out, I don't know, uh, but I was still going. And so then it was like, I need to adjust some things uh, in my life so that I can, you know, have the desire to keep learning and keep right, making right. and those sorts of things. Um, so that's, yeah. And so was that, I mean, how did you make that adjustment? I mean, I think that's a thing that a lot of people deal with is hitting that point where Well, I've like, got a product, Charlie, I wanted to show you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, these right, well, hold on one second. Yeah, I'm, we finally got here. Right. Uh, I have a book and a pack of pills. Uh, two with your, with your 30 day program. <laughs> yeah. 30 day to creative success yeah. with Ron Sparks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like how do you, you know, I think it's something tons of people deal with of like, they have their creative side project or side hustle or whatever. The day job pays for that or let's gives yeah. them the, the money and time to do it. But one, the day job can also be the thing that fries your yeah. brain too or, much. To yeah, or you work on a side project and then it just, you know, it doesn't work, right? right? So like you're putting a lot of time on both ends of that. And then you're just like, okay, well, like what, like why am I doing all this? So you get some of those <laughs> right. questions, like what's the point? Um, so yeah, I think for me, you know, step one was just like being aware, like, oh, this thing's happened. Like at some point, you know, I don't know when, but I realized like, oh, I've like, my drive has dropped on like making right. stuff. Yeah. So like just noticing that rather than like, it starts out, you just have that incremental, like oh, I'm sleeping in more, oh, I'm sleeping more, oh, I'm not working on this thing, oh, I'm not being consistent anymore. Um, and so at some point I noticed that and then I, I knew myself enough to be able to connect it to like, oh, that's a deficit. It's not just a normal thing. Um, and then, I don't know, I tried a bunch of stuff <laughs> like to fix it, right? Um, and so some of it is like taking a break. Some of it was, um, yeah, I don't know, changing the way I eat, running more, those sorts of things. Just like, I wasn't, like I was becoming so focused on just work and making stuff uh -huh. that there's other things in life you need to take care of. Right. And yeah. I wasn't like taking care of those things at all. So like my day was a hundred percent full of making things for my day job or for other people or for myself. And, um, like for a time that can be really cool, uh, right. <laughs> but for, not for all time, the time. Yeah. And so I started to need like one of the words that I have not figured out yet, but I've been thinking about is like boundaries. Like, you know, where are my boundaries of like, mm -hmm. where like, hey, it's okay, I'm offline for 30 minutes and um, right. I need to take care of myself a little right. bit. But we live in this world where like, you know, the, like uh, a lot of people work remote or they work with teams all over the world or the internet is on all the time. So it's like, there's no time where the internet sets like the sun does, right? Right. Like it's right. just on all the time, 24-7. Or like at 6 p.m., you're like, and the internet turns off. It would be great. Like, ah, the day's over. we right, got to take a yeah. break. Um, I don't know who controls the internet, but we should work on that. <laughs> there should be like a... Yeah, at least one day a week where there's off, the internet right, just goes yeah. off. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I just, I've been working on that, right? It's like a work in progress. And then you mm -hmm. get really excited about something and you want to go again. But uh, like... Like we talked, like, you know, I have a wife as well and yeah. she's also really creative. And so like, there's things we want to work on together as well and like build things together. Um, and if all my time is sucked into my work and then like all these side things, then I don't have time for that. And then that's going to suffer. So, um, I don't know. I like somebody at one point talked about not just like work life balance, but like, how do you integrate more of that? And so yeah. I think yeah. that's part of it, like my day job has a lot of the things I like to think about. 
um, around technology or being creative. And so my day job is something I actually, I really care about. And it's an outlet for a lot of the creativity and work I get to do. Not all of it, which is why I have to do other things. Um, and likewise, those aren't a full outlet, like, cause they don't have maybe some relational component. And then there's, you know, hanging out with my wife, Julia, and like building things with her and mm-hmm. having time to like make things and imagine things. And so, you know, it's like tricky to have all those things and figure out like, okay, is there my personality that I can integrate into each of these things? Um, and really right now the day job and my wife are very consistent. So it's all that stuff in between that I have to right, figure out right. how to manage correctly or not let the, you know, um, yeah. Yeah. It's just managing right. that. Like when you were, when you had that year or whatever it was of just feeling, you know, feeling burned out and feeling unmotivated to get out of bed and stuff was, I mean, part of waking up to that was that like due to your wife, was your wife like Ron, like Hmm. we're not connecting, we're not talking, we're not, you know, that is usually where things suffer right is it's <laughs> yeah. always like the marriage or your your family yeah so i you know i don't know I, th- I think there definitely was the like hey we don't have time together yeah. that was part of it and the other challenge was that like our work schedules were such that we only had one day off together every week okay uh which just sucks um so right. we only had one day off and so that was the day where you know if we wanted to go on any kind of outdoor adventures here in oregon right that was the one day but also that was the only day we had to work on uh you know fixing up the house, cleaning things, fixing things. So right, it was like yeah. a lot to shove in one one day, too much. Um, and so now luckily that's changed and we actually have multiple days off together. We have, we have, we have weekends, this is crazy. Um, <laughs> and that's actually been surprisingly helpful for the, like for me and like having time. So it wasn't anything too specific, but I think that was part of it is like just noticing like, oh, like I'm just working all the time or I'm working on stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, so now it feels like, yeah, I go really intense during the week. Um, and I kind of now expect that there's three or four nights sometimes where I'm working late with the international okay. crew. But I also know now that I have some other windows that are more chunked out and I own some other time on the weekend a lot more firmly um, with her, which is really good. Um, but for me, a lot of that creative time is like, um, before I got married, it was like late in the evening, right? And probably just a younger component right. too, like you just up all night till two in the morning. And then after I got married, that sort of changed. And then it became, well, the morning was the time because I want to have that evening rhythm with my wife. And then in the morning, it was like, well, I'm going to wake up earlier then because I still didn't need as much sleep sometimes. So I could wake up before everybody else. And then that was like my window to do stuff mm-hmm. where the world was quiet. Um, and so really what happened was like that early morning window went away and I just like slept or worked later oh, and then right, slept. Right, so right. It, it was sort of weird because it's sort of something that was like my little sacred space that just kind of evaporated. Um, right. And so, you know, nobody else is really going to notice that because it's just gone. And for anybody else, it's just like, oh, you're sleeping like a normal person. Good for you. <laughs> um, but you're it, like, no, no, this yeah. is a bad thing. Yeah, sleep is terrible. No, so I really felt like I that like little space just evaporated, and right. it was like trying to figure out like, okay, how do I, how do I get this space back, um, or get the desire to have that space back? Um, and I think you know everybody has the thing thing or things that work for them, which is again why I wrote this book. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for me, like I realized like I just need to exercise and. Um, I've tried a bunch of stuff and I like running was just the thing that like right. if I can just chip away at that then I feel better mentally it's not really about like physical health it's just about mental health 
Um, so like we talked this morning and I was like, yeah, I went, I made sure to go for a little run this morning because I know that like it mm-hmm. helps clear my head. Um, you know, so runs or walks, or if I'm working on a hard problem, um, that stuff just helps a lot rather than buckling down and staring at it and mm-hmm. you know, whatever the problem is. Do you do any kind of like meditation or anything like that? Or is your running like eight times a day, every 20 minutes? No, What's that? <laughs> 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 like hang on. Yeah, exactly. Um, go into my space. No, I, uh, I've tried. I think it's cool. I, I wish that I, there's just only so many things I can focus on. Yeah, right. right. So I've, I've tried Headspace. Um, somebody recommended 10% Happier, an app to me. Um, I downloaded it. I haven't even opened it. Um, I have a creative mentor um, who is definitely, like, very well-versed in yoga. And so I've, I've done some creative, like, retreat or work with him and, like, seen some of these small concepts dropped in. And that's been really cool um, okay. and really fascinating. And um, you know, I've taken a couple things from that, which is great. Um, you know, breathe, like, you know, the power of just breathing and helping to like calm yourself down has been mm-hmm. cool. Um, but I don't have like a practice of meditation. Um, right, right. And that's the other thing is like, when you start trying to solve a problem, I don't know if you've done this, but like, you're like, I'm going to make myself better by doing 12 things. <laughs> right. Yes. Alcohol is out. Sugar's out. Yeah. Running's in. CrossFit's in. Weightlifting's in. Yeah. No TV. Um, no internet. only going to take up 22 hours a day. Yeah. And then you have a checklist of all the things you won't right. do and three things you will and you do nothing. Um, or you do it all for four days and then everything and then explodes. And you never do any of it again. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, I know this now, um, from right. having done that many yeah. times. So now it's like, okay, I'm going to start with like just this one thing. I'm going to just have that one thing consistent. And then once that's there, I'll let the rest of it kind of figure itself out. Mm-hmm. So yeah, meditation was just one of those things that was like, that's cool. I can't you right. know, add that to the list of things I'm trying to do. But the one thing you do make time for is roasting coffee yeah uh nope i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I was like, uh, wrong person wrong wrong yeah. sorry my bad yeah so yeah i mean i don't know exactly what happened i i worked at cafes for a long time okay. but it was just one of those things where like like a lot of people i love coffee when i worked at ebay there's like a small group of people that had popcorn makers and you could make coffee in the old school popcorn makers <laughs> And so, like, I okay. jumped on the bandwagon, bought this, like, Western something popcorn maker, had a switch on it. And then what you could do is you change, like, one wire on the back. So when you plug it in, um, the heat turns on. So the heat's always on as soon as you plug this thing okay. in. And then the toggle's just for the air. Um, or no, no, it's the other way around. It doesn't matter. But you plug it in, the air's <laughs> on, and then the heat toggles. And you can roast coffee with these things. In, so, like, in an old school yeah, popcorn Yeah, it's, it's just like a tube. And then, like, in the tube there's heat and air and that, that makes bursts. it move around yeah. and so you could toggle the heat on and off so you drop the beans in and they just churn so anyways i learned how to do that and then um i made some terrible coffee and i made some great coffee uh-huh. and i was like this is really cool and so i just kept going down that road and now i have like this one kilo gas roaster that rolls out in my garage and i make coffee for, for myself and some neighbors and um it's just really fun to do something that is the opposite of technology um right and right. also the other thing in the land of like programming or making software it's never done it's just ready like that's one of the the terms like when you ship something in software it's not done it's just ready to ship because it's going to change mm-hmm. um and other art forms aren't necessarily like that like you can finish a painting or you can finish a photo and it can be done you can finish editing a video and it's done 
But in the land of software, you're always going back and revisiting. It's this living thing, which is awesome and super annoying all at the same time because <laughs> right? it's never done. You're just ready. So coffee is something that can be done. And I like that. Okay. Um, so I can be done making coffee. And I really like the ability to like give it to someone and they experience it and it's done. Um, I work a lot in these experiences that are like ongoing, continuous um, experiences. They're like game levels that you keep coming back to and playing and like mm -hmm. you think of all these story arcs and um, it's super interesting but it's also like never done so right um i really found it was enjoyable to like go down the rabbit hole deep on something that wasn't technology related and get into like how coffee's grown the fact it's a cherry and like whole economies run on it it's the second most traded commodity in the world like there's all these interesting things about coffee um and it's something I consume every day. It's something a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. And so it was fun to be able to make something and give it away as a pure gift. And there's like nothing else attached right. to it. Um, I don't really sell it. I've sold it a few times and was like, it's not yeah, what I want to do. Like, right, right. I don't want to own a coffee business. I just like making coffee. Ron's Coffee Roast. Yeah, exactly. So that was the other. No. Yeah, um, franchise. <laughs> yeah, franchise. Franchise. Pitch. Coffee not for sale, a franchise. Um, <laughs> So is it is it yeah. also the thing the the fact that you're making a physical product yeah. this thing that then you can literally give it physically to someone Yeah, it's else. super cool and like I I've, I've got a stamp I put the stamp on the bag it looks fun. Yeah. Hush hush coffee here you go. Like right. that's that's great. Um and then like I had a couple of friends and I would ask for reviews so I had really simple questions which were like could you drink it? <laughs> Um, did you like it? <laughs> Would you drink it again? Those are uh, my like questions. And that's because I'm like the user experience, like design side of me wants to like get the feedback and make it better. Um, and so a couple of my really good friends would like send me videos of them trying the coffee and safely. And I was like, this is great. Like, it's so satisfying to like make something, have somebody experience it and be done. Um, you know, it's fun to make something that uh, I made the, the mobile game back in the day and it was cool to like have my nephew or other kids use it and it had like 7,000 downloads and like there was no payment, there's no ads. So it was really fun just to like give something away. And I think maybe that's probably my own personal like pendulum swing back against what I'm making in the day job, right? right. It's just like, cool, let's just give something away because I can um, and let's like have an experience that's sort of done when it's done and that's it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's like a, the opposite of what I have to do during the day maybe. Right, right. Yeah, and it tastes good. Um, yeah, when it goes well, right? It, well, and now I'm I'm good at it. I'm not oh, okay. amazing, but I'm good enough to where it's always good. And then the trick is, can I make it great? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so it's pretty fun. Yeah. So what is it that you see for yourself, like for you, for your wife, for your the, the family you've created together? Like, you know, where, where does it go from here? Are you going to, are you... Do you see as like some radical change in direction or is it hashtag van life no hashtag, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hashtag mobile coffee roasting yeah, van we're, life we're or? moving to england i'm gonna meet with the duchess right. um yeah take over the world um yeah you mean like what's my personal yeah like, i mean next, is it whatever? just is it continue to continue to move through this this world that you're already immersed in and yeah. and see if you can move the needle a little like in terms of how it affects people or you know or or is it a whole new direction do you see this 
as kind of are there turning yeah. points that you see coming? I up? mean, you know what's so hard is like if you if you look back like five years ago or ten years ago and you look forward and you say like, <laughs> did I think I'd be doing at all what I'm doing now? I feel like most of the time it's like no, I didn't right. know that. Right. So um, you know, for whatever I would guess I would be doing in five years, I'm I'm kind of like I don't know. Probably be wrong. <laughs> yeah, um, there's a really cool. I can never remember his name. His first name is Chuck, but it's a book called. Um, looking at the it's I don't remember the title but it's because it's kind of a weird title but it's basically like looking at now as if it was the past okay. um, from like a future concept it's very strange but it's he basically just goes through and points out how like nothing turns out how you think it should and like the reason people become famous is not because of merit it's just because of like how we remember culture and stuff mm. so in my own life I kind of assume like that's probably what's going to happen I'll get somewhere and then I'll remember like what happened and sort of make up a story of why it works so well <laughs> um, but I don't know um, so for now what I hope to do is keep pushing on some of those ideas find interesting questions and um, you know the world right now the world right now um, it seems to be the consensus is like it feels a little dark um, and part of me feels like it's dark but there's also so much good um, mm -hmm. there's a book called Factfulness um, uh, that's pretty amazing and it points out actually how amazing the world is now and how like women 200 years ago could vote in three countries and now it's the opposite mm -hmm. every country but three and like literacy rates off the charts longevity has gone up like there's all these like really good things that have happened yeah, on a global yeah. scale at a long time frame but like global poverty has actually yep. decreased massively and massively hunger and yeah all these things that were true crises like yep. 30 years ago it's hard it's like they're still hard problems. to feel bad they're still yeah. there but they are a fraction of mm -hmm. the size they once were and and part of that is probably because like uh, as people you know everywhere the further along you go there's always like more that can be done or better that could happen and so I don't know where I'm going with that exactly but it feels like things are a little bit dark and I try to remind myself that actually there's a lot of good still happening mm -hmm. and that like why do I think the world's so dark it's because I'm told that that's what's happening all the time because that's what gets my eyeballs and that's what sells ads right um it's so, the darkness that gets play yeah so I'm trying to like about. figure out like one is just remember some of the goodness in the world see if like if there's a better world that I can be a part of making or ideas that shape that, then like, cool. Like I would love to be part of pushing that forward. I don't know how to do that. Um, so at this point it's just like, let's write down some ideas and share with people and right. see what gets picked up. Um, and maybe some of those ideas become, you know, part of the next conversation that leads to something. Um, and you know, that's where like the doubt as an artist might come in where you start this thing like, well, does that matter? Does that really help? like I don't know but what else am I going to do like not do that um, so I might as well try something so I guess I'm just going to keep pushing and iterating in that space of ideas um, and then as far as like you know family goes it's weird like part of it feels like I need to make sure I enjoy the outdoors and you know have a good time here but that's also like the bend you know we're in bend so it's like a little bit of the bend culture is weird in that um, like the hustle level sometimes feels like much lower um, oh, okay. the, the joke when I moved here, like there's two things people said like, um, five years ago or whatnot was bring your job and like bend full time is two days a week or three days a week. <laughs> I was like, well, what? <laughs> and I think it's just cause we've got a lot of people coming to visit, you know, the natural beauty here and it's a cool place or whatnot. 
Um, but like, that's not like, I'm not gonna, I don't want to live like a partially retired life type thing. So that's not at all my goal is just to like relax and hang out, like enjoy what's here. It's great. And also push forward on some of these ideas and find like a meaningful project, um, to to push into Mm -hmm. on that, man, on that front, um, we talked about it a little bit and this is, I think maybe just interesting, like there was some stuff that I was making where I, I think I was in this pattern of making stuff because I felt like I had to prove myself. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, like, in the land of technology, there's, like, we've got all this lore now and all this myths about, like, great companies, you know, and that's sort of this thing that's held up. And um, so I think some of the projects that I was working on was pushing on that, like, oh, I need to prove that I can make something from the ground up and, you know, that's how I'll prove myself. Mm-hmm. And now I kind of feel like I don't really need to do that at all. So it's shifted, like, the type of project I want to work on is no longer needs to be like to prove myself as worthy of being able to make a thing. Um, I just need to go make things I think are valuable. Um, which is weird. Like that's part of the, when you make stuff, are you pandering to the audience or making for yourself or what's that space in between? So. When I wanted to, you, you were talking just a second ago about like that challenge of the creative experience of, Pushing into your pushing into your creativity. I can't remember exactly what you said, but it was something about starting to sound good. Whatever you were saying, <laughs> <laughs> like like pursuing creativity as as both like career and profession, but also avocation and vocation. And oh yeah, so one of the things that I um, when I left the freelance sort of world and was like full time career, I still had this. One bit was like, I don't want my identity to be my job. Um, right, Cause right. if I lose my job, which will probably happen at some point, I don't want my identity to be gone, which and is self-worth and, and my self-worth, yeah. which is pretty selfish, weird way to think about it rather than just like my identity should not be my job. But my thought process was like, I want to protect myself emotionally. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, yeah. So one of the questions that came out of, you know, that line of thinking is like, well, what do I do? Right. Not what do I do for work? Like, what do I do as a person? Um, And so I started hunting for that arc of, whether it's in my job or in my creative projects, like, what do I do? Like, Mm -hmm. what am I doing here? And what you realize is like, that's this like uh, question where you can do anything. Like you get to pick your purpose. Like it feels like there's gonna be a purpose and if I hunt for it, I'll find it. And then at some point it was like, nope, I just have to pick a purpose. And then if that becomes kind of, you know, something that I'm not um, in tune with as much or, uh, you know, I no longer want to do, then I'll have to change my purpose again and reevaluate. So that's, I don't know, that's, uh, I kind of came to that question and then started looking at like, what do I do as a, a person? Um, hmm. And then worked with a mentor and kind of started honing in that question to figure out like, how could I do, operate as a creative in the day job and outside of it? And like, how do those two things link together? I mean, that's, that's big, important stuff, though. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, for anyone who has any creative inclination, urges, that's the big question, right? Of yeah, like how I'll, do I do? Yeah. Do you make your creative your creativity your job, which can become bad? <laughs> right. <laughs> or do right. you make you know? Do you work a regular regular job to? F- feed the creativity right. i think there's both like i'm fortunate enough to do something where if i it's maybe more upfront that i get to be creative or work in technology mm-hmm. um i've had other jobs that are very much not creative or whatnot but you can get into them still and like 
principles of like caring or making a good experience like those for me like I could infuse those ideas into almost any work I do still um, you know whether it's building a house or um, you know building a product like you could still infuse that idea now if it's closer to something I want to do it's probably a lot easier uh, to keep right, that up right and sometimes a job is just a job and sometimes the job that I have now is just a job like I just got to get it done um, and that's okay um, that's kind of the way it has to be mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah so but it is um, I don't know yeah that connection of like I'm one person in my job and out of my job and that was a uh, that was another realization actually now that I'm saying that that I had at one point where like sometimes you focus really hard on being like a good leader in your job or being really good at conversation in your job or being really good at hearing people in your job and then you go home or you're around friends or your wife and you're like oh I'm not like actively trying to be a good leader or I'm not actively trying to like be the best communicator I can be and like suddenly your personality becomes like sort of the characteristics are like really focused in the career space, but they're maybe not as polished in outside of that. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe there's some desire for consistency or to bring the best attributes from both those worlds and like cross them over. Um, so right, that like, right. you know, I can be good as a communicator in my job and outside of my job. Um, and then like I'm doing my work as an artist, sometimes in my job and hopefully sometimes out of my job. Um, On yeah. the skills you just talked about, like that's, key stuff for relationships and marriages of like being a good communicator and being a good listener and yeah you know and bringing that skill set from work to home too yeah which i don't always do that's for sure (laughs) (laughs) julia would Uh, attest to that yeah yeah um yeah so i don't know i'm just like hunting for a way like you know ultimate like sort of ridiculous desires to like push human thinking forward just like one little tiny needle i'd love to be a part of that um it's an incredible desire yeah like just like let's make stuff a little better and the way to do that is i can have all the ideas in the world but if i don't put them out there contribute to this like global knowledge set then i'm like there's no way that's ever going to happen um so that's one part of it is i just want to push things forward just a touch um and then you know what i realized is i also want to like I like making stuff like there's no reason for it I've had that conversation about like what is art and why do we make things and I kind of just like was like because I do because I like to (laughs) like like that's fine right and there's other people that like to also and I like to work with those people to help them make their Mm -hmm. things as well Mm -hmm. it's just really satisfying and I don't always understand why but if that's what it is then like oh cool let's just keep moving there because it is satisfying um so yeah pushing forward on those those creative fronts Uh and figuring out how to do it as like, you know, um, some consistent fashion between your personal life and your job life. And right, right. yeah, which is hard to do. And you know, you can, you can burn out on one or the other pretty easily sometimes. I feel like that's a, that's a pretty good place to put a pin in things at this point. Yeah, I think so. But yeah. I also wanted to ask because we referenced books or a book before and I love to read and <laughs> I love books. Are there any books you recommend or or even blogs or videos or whatever that you recommend as as besides my own thing? Yeah, besides <laughs> yours and besides this yeah, particular yeah, yeah. show. Um, yeah, those are the top of the list. There's two and books. And it's ronsparks.com, right? Like hyphen. I have to have a hyphen. I'm not rich enough okay. to own the full one. Ron-sparks.com. Ron-sparks.com. Yeah, there's two books that instantly jump to mind. One is called The True Believer by Eric Hoffer. Okay. Um, I read it 
Um, it was a book written in the 40s or 50s or something, and it's a look at why people follow movements. And I just think it's super fascinating in our time because it allows you to maybe understand more of what's happening um, with why people follow things, religions and leaders. And I don't know why, but that book has really stuck with me. So it's the, called The True Believer. I picked it up by accident. And the other thing I love about the book is that the guy that wrote it, um, Eric Hoffer, his like little story um, is that apparently he was like blind as a kid, at some point gained his eyesight back and was like started reading everything he could. And then he never lost his eyesight. And so he just kept it. And he ended up being a longshoreman in San Francisco, but he wrote this amazing philosophy book while wow. being a longshoreman. And I, I can't speak to like all his work, if it's all good, but that book just I thought was really cool. And I read it before everything kind of um, got more contentious in our culture. And uh -huh. it really helped me sort of see some of the things that were going on for like more clearly like, oh, these are the tactics that are being used. Um, but it was written like, you know, 50, 60 years ago. So I found that really interesting. Um, so that's Eric Hoffer, True Believer. The other book uh, is Factfulness. And I'm going to say his name wrong, so I can't remember. But if you Google Factfulness <laughs> in the book, you'll find right, it. That should come up. It was recommended to me. And I was like, okay, I'll check it out. Um, you know, there's, you know, like any book, there's going to be things that you disagree with or whatnot. But the, it was really amazing and eye-opening for like, here is like how we should think about the levels of uh, economy in the world of like, you know, it's not first world, third world anymore. It's there's four levels and here's why, and here's the difference. Yeah. Um, and it's explained like when you're on that top level of the economic status in the world, which we are as Americans, uh, you look down and you just think everything's the same below us. Everything else is poverty. Mm -hmm. So it really breaks that down to like the impact of what it means to go from a couple dollars or no dollars a day, not having shoes to having shoes, to having a bike, to having a car. And like, the doubling of those money and the difference in those economies and what it really means. Um, and the same thing with like beds and cooking and like, so these different economic levels. Um, and then he points out how it's not just about like the West versus the East, like the notion of like how healthcare works and how mm -hmm. happiness and economy works. Like it is not an uh, East versus West type of thing. Like those metrics are spread all over the world now. And so it really helps you like understand from a point of facts like how the world has really changed um so yeah both those books are really good and they kind of have informed some of my thinking and um in a way giving me a little bit of hope also so yeah wow that's that's awesome and we'll make sure to put links to those books yeah uh, in the <laughs> description of the of the video and stuff. cool and uh, neither of them are like on the creative front like per se you know in quotes right. but like if you're a creative person, then everything's going to feed into your creativity. So I think it's fine. That's yeah. a fantastic point, actually. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, where, if people want to find out more about you and they want to read more about what you're up to, where... Text me. Uh, no. <laughs> just <laughs> just phone over text. Here, let me just give out your personal <laughs> phone number. Um, yeah, probably my website's fine. Okay. Um, they can email me, ron at ron-sparks.com. Okay. So, uh, yeah, website's probably the best way to find right, and connect. Great. Or through you, it's fine. Yeah, and, yeah. of course, we'll put links to that in the video as well. Yeah, cool. Very cool. Thanks, right. Ron. I mean, this... I think I now understand a little bit about what you actually do. <laughs> I, I make software. Yeah. And then I think about yeah. things. And you and think then about. I try to be creative. Kind of like Tyrion Lannister in Game of Thrones. Like he <laughs> oh, drinks wow. wine and thinks 
that's like yeah that's what i aspire to <laughs> there's what i am and what i aspire to like you make things and you drink coffee yeah exactly although maybe and i should switch to wine things. yeah cool cool thanks man yeah thanks Appreciate charlie you.